This is a Willits Point Shea Stadium bound 7 express train. The next and last stop is Willits Point Shea Stadium. it is the subway to shea podcast anthony rivera here with you talking about all the news and happenings surrounding that team from queens the new york mets episode 58 is on the air we're going to have a little bit of a change here changing the format around here we're gonna start getting into more content as soon as we get on the air changing it up a little bit Trying to see if that works out here for us. We're working on some new things. New content, more content, and on different platforms as well. Just not podcast version. We might add a video element to this and a whole lot more. So please stay tuned and stay in touch with me and the Subway to Shea podcast. And where we left off last week was right before the home opener was going to take place. And I'm not going to go over all the series. That's not what this podcast is. We're not going to recap everything. We'll do that on Twitter. I'll do that on Instagram. But I want to take different elements from what has happened during these games. And we're going to start off Where we have to, where it all began, the unveiling of the Tom Seaver statue on opening day. Also was Jackie Robinson Day as well. It was a beautiful day out there at City Field. The weather was nice. I watched it on TV. I didn't have tickets for the game. I had to work, but I had the TV on at the same time watching the whole ceremony. Great, great ceremony from Mike Piazza to Howie Rose, Steve Cohen, talked and addressed the fans. Jacob deGrom was also there. And I got to say, the emotions were pretty high for me. I know it must have been for you as well when Nancy Seaver got up and spoke. And I I teared up. As soon as she says, and speaking to Tom, it's so nice to have you here where you belong. I kind of lost it. It was amazing. The tears were flowing. Uh, Even Tom's daughters got up to speak. Sarah and Anne, they spoke as well. The actual statue itself... Great depiction of him in motion. You had the knee almost touching the ground, that famous drop-and-drive delivery that he had. William Behrens did a great job sculpting it. And I also know that he did the Willie Mays statue. He did the Tony Gwynn statue. 10 feet tall, 3,200 pounds. Amazing. Just a beautiful sight. I can't wait to see it in person, to be at a Mets game, to take pictures in front of it, like I know a lot of fans have already done. So that is a moment that I can't wait for. And finally, Tom Seaver is immortalized in New York forever. He will never leave us again. Whatever happened to the fans in 1977, I wasn't alive for it, but it was the worst moment I know in Mets history, the trading of Tom Seaver. He's here with us forever now. Whatever has happened in the past is gone. It's upsetting that we don't get to see him enjoy this as he well deserved. But knowing that now Seaver will never leave and be a part of this Mets lore forever and deservedly should be 
is just a great feeling. One thing that I thought about, why is there no like Tom Seaver movie? You know, we get a lot of movies about baseball and sports and all that stuff and the bi- the biographies that we get. I'm wondering why there's never been a Tom Seaver movie. If you look through his story and the book that I read, the Bill Madden book uh, on Tom Terrific, um, that was a great book. So many stories that you can use and it just has that Hollywood feel. His his life has that Hollywood feel to it. Whether it's, you know, how he got, you know, brought to the Mets, how, you know, the sixty nine Mets won the World Series, the whole problems with, you know, M. Donald Gran and Dick Young, and then the return the trade, the return uh to Shea Stadium and all of the things that went on in his life, being, you know, the person who had the most votes for such a long time, getting inducted into the Hall of Fame. There's so much to go with there, and I I would love to see a movie about Tom Seaver if they ever decided to do it. He's got a great story. We all know it. We've either lived it or, like myself, have watched the highlights, read the books, but there's so much that we all can learn watching what Tom Seaver's done and it, making a movie, I would have definitely enjoyed and loved to see that. But, um, you know, that opening day was a great event. The Mets won the home opener. They won 10-3. to uh, Robinson Cano hit a home run on, Rob, uh, on Jackie Robinson Day. He was named after Jackie Robinson, so that was a fun moment. It was such a great day, and it's been a great week so far. The Mets have had this, like, home cooking going on, and, and they're really turning the wheel and changing what has gone on. And we've talked about Tom Seaver, so let's continue with the Mets starting pitching. Mets starting pitching have a 2.10 ERA. How crazy is to think? You know, we talked about MLB posting that the Mets have the number one rotation in all of baseball prior to the start of the season, and that was with Jacob deGrom. You know, once he got hurt, you know, we thought that they would, you know, go down a peg a little bit. Definitely top 10, but definitely go down a peg, and they have not missed a beat. 2.10 ERA. That's without Jacob deGrom. Without Jacob deGrom, that ERA, amazing. Now, you go, let's look at the numbers for this Mets rotation. You got to go back and look at what they've done so far this season. Carlos Carrasco, he got his first win the other day and uh, probably his best performance as a New York Met, 1.47 ERA. Chris Bassett, 2-1 with a 3 ERA. Max Scherzer, 2.50 ERA, 3 wins. Tyler McGill, 2.20 ERA and 2 wins. You look at the strikeouts to walk ratio here. Carlos Carrasco, 20 strikeouts to 2 walks. Chris Bassett, 20 strikeouts to 4 walks. Max Scherzer, 23 strikeouts to 7 walks. Tyler McGill, 15 strikeouts to 2 walks. I mean, this starting rotation has been nothing but unbelievable. And that's why the New York Mets right now have the most wins in the major leagues at 10, are at top of the National League East at 10 and 4. And right now, I know it's early, but they have to be considered one of the best teams to start this year. It's been amazing. And, you know, the big test came against the San Francisco Giants this past week. I, I, we know that that Arizona is not a great team, and they should have handled them. They, they took two out of three. Um, they're winning series, which is most important, right? You got to win. They've won every series so far, all four series they've taken. 
Um, probably should have swept Arizona with how they're not really a great team. But the San Francisco Giants was a huge test. Everyone took San Francisco lightly last year. They had over 100 wins, really fought tooth and nail to the end against the Dodgers, came up short this year, off to a great start as well. And they were so pesky. That's what I, that's the, the, what I see from that team. They're a pesky team. And they came out swinging against the Mets, against McGill, against Bassett. They came out swinging. They were getting hits against the shift. They were getting three or four hits in a row. And they took a, a huge lead against Tyler McGill and Chris Bassett, where they gave up four or five runs. McGill got a no decision because the Mets ended up winning that game in extra innings. Bassett took the loss. That's his first loss of the season. But here's what I got to say. As great as Tyler McGill has pitched the first two games of the season, this may be his best start. And I know, what are you saying? He gave up four runs, but that's his best start? Look at how he finished the game. Look at how also Chris Bassett finished the game. They finished strong. After those first two, three innings, they adjusted, they turned it around, and they finished strong. And that's what you want to see, definitely heading into their next starts as well. A confidence boost there. You got Max Scherzer and Cookie Carrasco both had their best games as New York Mets. I know it took a a year to get here for Carlos Carrasco, but he pitched one heck of a game on Thursday to get the win. He went into the eighth inning. No Met has done that this season. If you had, and I said this on Twitter, if you had a a pool and you bet on Carlos Carrasco going eight innings against the San Francisco Giants, well, he went seven and two-thirds. He didn't finish the full eight because he gave up a home run to Yastrzemski. But look at the line here. 7.2 innings pitched, four hits, two earned runs, seven strikeouts. He pitched out of this world. And he is the fourth starter right now. This is what we expected last year. But you got to understand, he had the hip injury. They kind of rushed him back because there was no pitching. There was no depth. So he had to come back. But look at Cookie now. And he has a 1.47 ERA this season. We talked about his strikeouts. 20 strikeouts and 18.1 innings pitched. His whip, 0.60. Cookie has been nothing but awesome to start this season. And Max Scherzer, I mean, his Mets City Field debut in that Met uniform, that blue, beautiful, blue and orange uniform, because I love that alternate uniform, amazing. You look at this game, seven innings pitched, 10 strikeouts, three walks, only gave up one earned run. He had the no-hitter going for a while, um, as advertised. Right? Like, that's all I can say. As advertised for Max Scherzer. He's 3-0 right now with a 2.50 ERA. Uh, What a season start. A whip of .89. This is what you want to see when Jacob DeGrom pitches. You want to see them scoring runs for him. Look at all the starting pitchers. If you look at all the starting pitchers right now, and looking at their stats right now, here we go. Let's go to... Carlos Carrasco, 1-0. Chris Bassett has the only loss in the rotation because Scherzer's 3-0, McGill is 2-0, and, uh, I mean, the rotation has just been out of this world, and you get this sense of unity and brotherhood within the pitching rotation. You know, you see them when they're in the dugout, once the starters are out of the game, especially the younger guys, the David Petersons, the 
Tyler McGill's of the world. They're getting to learn here, not only by seeing what Scherzer and Bassett do on the mound, but even in the dugout, Scherzer and Bassett holding court, teaching, reviewing, you know, with the iPad. And I know I talked about how much I didn't like the iPad, but this is when you, this is when you use the iPad to, you know, review what has happened during the game. You take little elements from there. You listen to what this soon-to-be Hall of Famer Max Scherzer is saying. You listen to what this bulldog and Chris Bassett is what is saying. And you take away so much from them. You learn so much from them. And this can only help guys like Tyler McGill, David Peterson, to hone their craft, to become better in this rotation so that one day when Max is gone, one day when the inevitable Jacob deGrom is leaving. Hopefully he retires in a Mets uniform, but one day, then you can pass the torch to a guy like Tyler McGill, who so far this season has looked excellent. And the bouncing back from adversity in that San Francisco game, shutting them down after giving up those four runs, that only helps in progression. The playing with adversity and showing how you can overcome, just like how Jacob deGrom did in Game 5 of the NLDS against the Dodgers. He gave up those two runs, Mets were down 2-0, but he battled. He didn't have his best stuff, but he battled. And that's what you want from every starting pitcher every day that they take the mound. Now, speaking about this unity, this brotherhood, the culture of this entire team, it just feels different. You can agree or disagree with me, but something wasn't right last year. I never felt that way ever about a team. I know it's early, but the feeling is just different. From the manager to the coaches, they're making a difference. Buck Showalter leading by example. His presence in the dugout. Eric Chavez with the hitting. We've seen what he's done. Alex Cora with the aggressiveness at third base. Look at that aggressiveness on the base pass. On the game in uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks. Dom Smith scoring on a McCann sack fly. You have Eduardo Escobar and Pete Alonso scoring on a single and throwing errors. That didn't happen last year. And what's most important is with Alex Cora being so aggressive, anytime this team succeeds in scoring a run, those players are going to have more confidence in knowing that Alex Cora is sending them in the right time, sending them at the right moment. And those players are going to hustle and put it in to 110% and put it into high gear to get that run scored. You go to Eric Chavez and the hitting approach. Look at the offense. Look at the offense right now. Team totals, and this is the rank in 15 National League teams, right? The Mets, OBP, .353. They lead the National League. They're fifth in slugging at 402. OPS, the third, 755. Uh, 259 batting average. They are leading stolen bases. They're number one. 11 stolen bases. Did we see that many stolen bases last year? No. The team barely had any speed. Home runs, they're third with 14. Triples, fourth with, well, they only have two triples, but you, you get it, right? Doubles, 20. They're seventh. They lead the National League in hits with 120. They lead the National League in runs with 67. 
This is a change in an approach, and Eric Chavez has been at the forefront of it. Now, it's not just been all the coaches, but the players as well. The players as well have done their part. The new players, Eduardo Escobar, Marcana, Starling Marte, minus that little gaffe, the stolen attempt, but they have contributed so much to this hitting, working counts, getting on base, timely hitting with two outs for this entire team. This entire team never quits, and they stopped losing streaks before they even started for the reason why they only have four losses right now and 10 wins. The team fought, even in defeat against San Francisco. We talked about the pitching staff, but even the offense. They staged multiple rally attempts, even in the loss. They fought hard. Even the bullpen has been solid. This whole San Francisco series, a tough offense team, San Francisco, pesky team, a pesky offense, the bullpen came to play. And you got to thank Jeremy Hefner for that. He's the only holdover. The only one that deserved to be held over was Jeremy Hefner. Now, I would have been fine if they decided to go another direction, but if I was going to hold over one person from that staff last year, it was Jeremy Hefner. Look at what he did in the first half with the rotation and the bullpen. Obviously, they did get overworked, but that's because they got no length from the starting rotation. So by the time the second half started, the bullpen was exhausted. But look at what Jeremy Hefner does with this starting rotation and this bullpen now hitting on all cylinders. And let's bring it back to Buck. We saw on Sunday against Arizona, there are these little attention to details that he brings to this club. I talked about the sack fly from James McCann that brought in Dom Smith. Arizona wanted to challenge it and appeal and throw over to third. While they're getting ready to do that, J.D. Davis takes off for second. Messed up Ali Perez, and they were not even allowed to appeal. See, it's these little attention to details that Buck brings to this team that was missing for an entire season from Luis Rojas and probably would be missing from a newer manager, a rookie manager. Let's, let's be clear here, a rookie manager. That's why this team so far has taken off and hit on all cylinders. The confidence that this team has, the bravado that this team has right now. Something that I feel like I saw in 2006. And who knows? Who knows what's going to happen? We're only two weeks into a season. Anything could change, injuries, all that stuff. But if you're not enjoying what you're seeing right now, I don't know what to tell you. Enjoy it while it lasts. Hopefully it lasts all the way to the final game of the World Series where the Mets win the championship. But if they don't, enjoy the good memories that they bring to us. Now we talked about all the leadership and the presence of the, the coaches and the new players. How about the leadership on the field from Francisco Lindor and Pete Alonso? It's the Francisco Lindor Revenge Tour. Let's start off with him. The Francisco Lindor Revenge Tour has started. This season, so far, he's batting 308, 4 home runs, 10 RBIs, 3 stolen bases, 16 hits in 52 at-bats, 12 runs scored, an OBP of 419, OPS of 1.034. He has been out of control. Last 7 games, batting 357, 3 home runs, 6 RBIs, 4 walks, 2 stolen bases, 10 hits, 7 runs, Francisco Lynn Door is here, and I hope everyone knows 
what it's about. Last game against San Francisco, he went three for five, had three hits to start the game, including a home run. Francisco Lindor, folks, get with it. Get with it. Pete Alonso also leading at the plate and at first base, which begs the question, should Alonso be a DH or should he play first base? To be honest, I'm good with either or. All his homers so far and his big hits have been coming as a DH. He struggled a little more when he's had to play first base, hitting-wise. Now, we all know that issue he had against the Nationals, the two-error game. After that tough loss, he has totally bounced back, had a huge play in Game 1 against the San Francisco of the doubleheader, a game-changing play, a huge stretch that he made that saved a run from scoring in the 10th. That picture... That picture might have to go up on my wall at some point. That might become a bobblehead. Uh, we're we're going to see that picture or that play for years to come. And the emotion after they did the replay and they called him out at first and that he had his foot on all, all along, the emotion that you saw from Pete, I mean, that's what you want every day from all your players. And they showed that then. But Pete has been such a awesome player. I know he struggled in 2020, and if he had a full season, I think he would have did even better. Right now, he's batting 278, three home runs, 14 RBIs, 15 hits total this season in 54 at-bats, nine runs, an OBP of 328, OPS of 828. Last seven games, though, 292 batting average, one home run, four RBIs, only six strikeouts. Pete is the guy. He will probably end up becoming the captain of this team at some point, I think. Well, why not? Francisco Lindor, people might say, it's there's something about homegrown players, you know? And Pete shows just as much as emotion as Francisco Lindor does. So I think that whatever they decide to do, I know that Pete will defer and and be he is that team guy, that team player. Whatever they decide to do, if they want him to play first, he play first. If they want him to DH, he'll DH. But I think it's good also to get him that rest. You get Dom Smith in there, you have him only hit. You know, you know. I guess the more or less kind of platooning him at first base, but he will get most of the plays at first base. He takes it hard. He takes first base to heart. He had an awesome year last year where I thought he could be a gold glove. He didn't get it, but he works on his defense. Even when he makes mistakes, he works so hard on his defense. And unless you're bringing in like a Freddie Freeman to play first base or you're bringing in uh you know one of the top elite first basemen I guess you got to go, you got to go with Pete right I mean you could go to Dom Smith here and there but Pete's going to get the bulk of the playing time and he that's he probably should right now but if they bring in a big first baseman then things maybe things change like if they would have went after Freddie Freeman I would understand him going to DH but that's not what happened so let let's let's see a little more it's still early, but you got to like what you see from Pete. Definitely got to like what you see from Francisco Lindor and just this whole entire team in general. This is all without Jacob deGrom, folks. All without Jacob deGrom. Can't wait for him to come back. And that leads to my final notes before this train leaves the station. Jacob deGrom is heading for his follow-up MRI. He, you know, he had that stress reaction on his right scapula. Monday, April 25th, we will find out if it's time to resume or if he's going to continue to be on the injured list. I'm hoping for good news as well as you all and hope that there's no setbacks. 
Taiwan Walker, also nearing a return. He had right shoulder bursitis, may return on this road trip, but also may need one more rehab start, which would probably push him to the next homestand. Also, with the pitching, there's tough choices to be made on who to send down at the end of the month. You can only have 13 pitchers max. One person that I don't want to be sent down is Travis Jankowski. I know you're going to be like, this guy is such a homer for Travis Jankowski, but look at what he brings to the team. Speed, defense, that's what you look for when you got the bench. Maybe two bullpen pitchers go down. It's been a rough go around for Sean Reed Foley. It's been a rough go around for um, the... um, for Joely Rodriguez, who's kind of, he does well against lefties, struggles against righties, but you got to have a feeling that maybe Sean Reed Foley might be at the end of his line. Um, and I'm trying to think of who else would go down. Maybe one of these guys struggling. Do you think that a Dom Smith might be sent down? He's only batting, what is he batting right now? Let's look at Dom Smith. He's batting 174 right now. Could he go down? Luis Guillorme only batting 158. Tomas Nito batting 158 as well. Robinson Cano batting 185. They got a lot of tough decisions to make. But let me know what you think. Who do you think should be sent down at the end of the month? Two players got to go down because it goes from 28 to 26. So I would like to know who you think should be sent down. Well, that's going to wrap up this week's Subway to Shape podcast. If you like what you heard, please consider following the show on Twitter and Instagram at Subway to Shea. And you can listen to the show on Anchor.fm, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and Pocket Casts. Turn on those notifications and you'll never miss an episode of Subway to Shea. If you're a new listener to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us, and I hope you consider subscribing on any of the platforms I mentioned. Also, make sure to share it with your fellow Met fans. If you have been a supporter this whole entire time, from beginning, or if you hopped on in, in, in later ep- earlier episodes, thank you. This show wouldn't be where it is without you. So I appreciate all that you have done and all that you have done to make this podcast a global podcast. That's right. Subway to Shea is global. This podcast is not only played in the United States, but also reaches across the globe. So no matter where you listen, please take a few minutes to write me a review and let me know what you think of the show. You can do it on Apple Podcasts. You can rate the show from one to five stars. Hopefully you're giving me five stars. And then leave comments in the review section. It helps me to help this show move forward and to create better content each and every week. You can also rate the show on Spotify. That's another feature on Spotify. Rating the show, I think you can do it from one to five stars. There is no comment section, but you can rate the show on Spotify. Also, don't forget to follow my work for Rising Apple. Rising Apple is a New York Mets site on the fan-sided network. You can read my articles by going to risingapple.com or checking out the links in the description of this week's podcast episode. Make sure to follow Rising Apple on Twitter at Rising Apple Blog and the fan-sided network at fan-sided. Thank you everyone so much for tuning in. I appreciate you all so much. I keep saying it, but so much. That will do it for this week's podcast. Always remember to listen, subscribe, share, and review. For Anthony Rivera, you've been listening to Subway to Shea. Let's go Mets.